Hello and welcome to Get Flushed, the portable sanitation podcast. My name's Pete. I've had a really busy week since the last episode because on Tuesday I flew to Auckland to meet with Dean at Thunderbox and with Anthony and Stefankovic at Prestige Luz. I spent most of the day with Prestige on Wednesday and I went in for pre-start on Thursday. I had a really great time with them and I have to say I was absolutely blown away by their operation. I managed to record some really great audio and I'm so excited that I'll be bringing that to you over the next two or three weeks. Before I left Auckland, I promised that I'd give shout-outs to Alex and Naz at Prestige Luz and to Jack and Steve at Snap Rentals, who picked me up from the airport and took me for my hire car. It was really great to meet everybody and I hope you enjoy the rest of today's show. Today's episode is a follow-on to the previous episode on a roll, which was all about toilet paper. I had a lot of feedback about that show and I'm grateful to Ross Ambrose who put me in touch with Patty Gibbs who put me in touch with Nick Trainer, the Vice President of Toilet Paper at Georgia Pacific over in Georgia in the United States. I recorded the phone call with Nick really early in the morning the week before I flew to Auckland but it's only the last two days I've had chance to sit down, edit the audio and cut today's episode. Nick, it's Pete from Get Flushed. How are you? Good, Pete. How are you? I'm good. Are you good to talk? I am, yes. Have you listened to any of the podcasts? Well, actually, I did listen to the one from July 4th where you did On a Roll. I enjoyed it. I think I said in the episode, toilet paper, it's almost like the forgotten piece of the puzzle, that nobody really pays very much attention to paper. When it's there, you take it for granted, and when it's not, you're stuck. Well, I always say that you don't have any other options. Like if the towel dispenser doesn't work, you can at least just wipe your hands on your hands. pants. But yeah. if, if the toilet paper doesn't work, you're really in trouble. One of the things I've seen is a lot of socks in the toilet when we've emptied them. We used to have a mechanical grate that all the waste would pour through the grate and we'd catch socks. And it, and it eventually dawned on us that that's exactly what happened. People had run out of paper, so they'd used the nearest thing that they could find, which was their pair of socks. <laughs> 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 so so I, I published that episode and Ross Ambrose, who's on the um, board of the Portable Sanitation Association, messaged me and said, hey, Pete, you need to talk to someone from a toilet paper company. Small world. In 2016, I was one of the guest speakers at the PSAI conference in Charlotte. What did you tell him, Nick? Well, the, the main premise of my speech was talking about innovation and how difficult it is it's difficult in our space, and it's equally difficult in their space, but we just talked about, you know, what can you possibly do different, different business models. One of the things I had told them, GP had, I think in probably 2014 or 15, we had gone out and we had purchased a couple of really nice trailers, and we were trying to prove out whether or not people would pay for a better portable toilet experience. All that stuff is provided to that person for free. Mm. Right, they're not paying for any of it. And so as a buyer, if I'm not getting quote-unquote paid for it, I'm going to give you the least amount or the cheapest thing I possibly can. But if someone says, hey, can I get a better experience? Sure, if you want to pay for it. So we took a couple of these things, and we took them to big-time like outdoor events, like concerts or yes. you know, American football games or things like that. And we basically we would sell a band. For 10 bucks, you would buy a band. And people would walk up and they'd be like, I'm not paying 10 bucks. And then a half an hour later, after they had like three or four beers, <laughs> they couldn't give you 10 bucks fast enough. And what we had was 
a porter basically standing outside. And then every time someone came out, they would run in in you know, 30 seconds and they would just clean it. And what we were trying to prove was, can you make money at this? And, and the answer was, yes, we didn't have the infrastructure or, you know, we're not going to start our own no. porta potty company. Between you and I, I have no idea if anyone ever did anything with it, but it was an idea that we proved you could make money if you wanted to try to have a different business model. So we talked about that for the most part. Well, it's interesting because early on when I'd done maybe the third episode, I had a call from Dave Andres, who now works for a company called Sanitrax, and that is their business model. They've made a modular compartmentalized toilet system that connects together and is vacuum flush, so it's very clean on the inside. But they supply that with an attendant right. and the, the experience of the user from that compared to a standard plastic toilet is game changing. But that's their business do they, model. That, do they charge the venue extra or do they, do, yeah, the, do they find a way to charge the actual As user? far as I know, they charge the venue. That model of charging extra for premium service I think is becoming more popular. It'd be quite cool if we could trace that back that that was your innovation and you've suggested that and everyone's followed on. <laughs> <laughs> Do I get any royalty? <laughs> well, that, that, a licensed business model. Yeah, you've hit the nail on the head that normally people just put up with whatever's available and the, the standard portable toilet experience isn't very pleasant for me. I've, I've seen some real shocking sights, honestly. Well, and I also, I think what we were testing, venues typically, sometimes they want to pay more, sometimes they don't. But what mm. we were testing was with the actual person. So in other the words, user. my wife, right? Yeah. My wife... If, if she had to use a portable toy, it would pay you a hundred dollars to for you to clean it first, right? So there are people out there, and that's a different revenue stream that I think is untapped. It's a different clientele. We actually took this to a, I don't want to say like a rodeo in somewhere in remote Georgia, but we took it to a place where you would not see the kind of clientele you would see at a PGA event. Mm. And ironically, those folks would also pay. Now they're, you know, I think ten dollars was the number, but I don't know. No one's ever pushed that. You know, that was just kind of a number we were Just for a trial, sure. You had other questions. The questions that... I went um, down a different path. No, that's cool. We're, you know, the, the show is... It, if I mix this into a 15-minute episode, it's your episode. So I appreciate you've come on. So <laughs> whatever, you, whatever, whatever message you want to get across, far away. The questions I fired to Patty were ones which readers or listeners had, had pushed to me through the Facebook channel. One came in really early on. I actually edited the episode and added an ending on. One listener messaged in that, hey, I like to weigh all of my toilet rolls. Have you ever thought about that? And as a manufacturer supplier, I wondered if you had any opinions on that. Is, is there a significant difference between the weight of toilet tissue? It's not as easy as one, two, three, but there's a basis weight measurement that we use. So, for example, a sheet of one ply may be 10 pounds of basis weight, and so therefore two-ply is 20 pounds, just, mm -hmm. to, just to use round numbers. So, so there, is a difference, there is a difference in the weight. What we have found is folks use toilet paper based on bulk. So it, it, and it sounds awkward, but you take what kind of feels good in your hands. Mm -hmm. Retail tissue is a whole lot more premium than the what we call away-from-home tissue, and it's got much more bulk. In fact, that basis weight could be 30 to make a number up. It's a lot heavier, a lot thicker, and the intent is that you would take less sheets. What we tend to find, Pete, is when you are in you, when you are in an area where the user is the same user. So, for example, an office building where I'm going to the same office, to the same bathroom, and I'm going there three times a day for the next 10 years. 
I will adjust my usage based on the toilet paper that's in the bathroom. That's interesting. So when you have someone who's going for the first time to an event, like any kind of a high-traffic facility or any kind of an airport, you're not going to reduce your consumption over time, right? You're going to take the same amount. You know, we've done a lot of work on trying to understand consumption, trying to understand what people use, mm. whether it's on the jumbo rolls or the small rolls, if it's on two-ply, if it's on one-ply. We've got a lot of data for that. That's really interesting. I had not thought about about people develop. Well, I'm sure they do. Yeah, people develop habits that I've certainly seen in toilets when I've cleaned them. That you'll get layers and layers of paper, and you see that some people cover the seat entirely before they sit down. And, yeah. And then in a, an open tank toilet, some people will cover the waste that's already there, and other people will cover themselves when they're finished. They'll they'll cover their waste, which all adds to the, the yeah, usage we, of the paper. It does. We always refer to that as nesting. You know, nest. People are going to build themselves a little nest. And you see it lots. And, and I hate to say it for risk of being classified something I'm not, but women seem to use way much more paper than men. And my wife says, of course they do. But I'm referring to those habits, the nesting. I think women are, are more prolific nesters than men in, in the toilets I've seen on site anyway. Women definitely use more because they use it every time they go. And yeah. we only use it, you know, every other whatever that number is. But you do find that women... Um, we also, in research that we've done and asking questions sort of on the post-event, uh, they tend to hover more, too, mm-hmm. than, than guys will. We've done some research, and, you know, not surprisingly, you know, 90% of the people don't like public restrooms. And I always joke and say, well, I actually want to meet the 10% that do like public restrooms because I'm surprised that number's not <laughs> <are> higher. <laughs> My experience just on events where we had a fleet of blue toilets and a fleet of pink toilets and we'd set them up as male-female restroom blocks at events and you would definitely Mm -hmm. see much more paper consumption in the pink toilets than in the blue ones. We still find or we still hear that the number one complaint with public restrooms or even the dirty seats, whether you're in a a porta potty situation or or an airport or any kind of a public restroom, that dirty seats are what people are the least happy about. I had spoken in the show about the paper that I've used dissolves really quickly. Almost as soon as it touches the water, it dissolves into uh, fibrous gruel, for want of a better description. Is that a deliberate engineering solution by the manufacturer? Yes, especially on the commercial toilet paper. It has zero wet strength, mm-hmm. so it, it is intended to dissolve fairly quick or disperse fairly quick. Some of the retail sheets will have what's called temporary wet strength, which makes it a little stronger but it eventually will break down. What It's interesting, what I get the most of is facial tissue. When, when folks will call and say, hey, we've got tissue blocking up our septic system, and you start to find out that what happened was someone was using facial tissue because it's soft, it feels like bad tissue, they think it's going to be fine, but, but it's made with permanent wet strength. So facial tissue is, is not designed to break down in water. And so when folks are at home and, you know, my wife. If she runs out of something, she grabs the facial tissue. I'm like, we're going to have a problem if you keep doing that because yeah. it's not going to break down the pipes. I know talking with the um, sanitation engineer at our wastewater facility, they have a huge problem with wet wipes, baby wipes that don't dissolve. That is a growing problem, especially in the U.S. We don't manufacture any of that stuff, but I know it's a big deal. Mm. So GP is just paper? Correct. Do you export, Nick? Are you global or is it just U.S.-based? 
You know, Pete, mostly now it's just uh, North America. We were doing some stuff in Mexico, which we've divested from, so it's primarily the U.S. and Canada. Mm -hmm. It's not very economical to make it in the U.S. and ship it anywhere else, and and we just don't have any ownership positions anywhere else in Europe, or anywhere else in the world for that matter. And were you affected by COVID? Was the toilet paper shortage a real thing, or was it all just an urban myth? I don't think I've ever been busier in my life. I think it was sort of a a perfect storm. I I think it was a lot of people were panic buying. And what happened to us at the manufacturing facilities was less about what we could make and more about what we could ship out the doors. We we only make a number up. We only have 50 dock doors or 100 dock doors. Mm. And they were already running 24-7. So when you try to jam 40, 50% more product out, you just you can't get 150 dock doors. And so we were having as much trouble getting stuff out and getting it into the chain, supply chain, as we were, and we were actually manufacturing it. We saw footage in Australia of people brawling in supermarket aisles. It was crazy. The supermarkets here responded really quickly and put a two-pack per customer limit on from the week before we went into lockdown. As soon as that footage came out of Australia, everybody got on the front foot here. And even our Prime Minister was on live TV saying, hey, there's plenty of toilet roll, nobody panic, trying to defuse it. But Perfect Storm would be a good good way to describe it, I think. I handled the away-from-home side of the tissue business. I've got a counterpart who handles retail, so he he was probably more busy than I was. But we were joking, we have two of the most important jobs in the country, if not the world right now. (laughs) I think you did. (laughs) Does GP supply the roll holders, or is that not a thing in America? So, we typically do. I would tell you, when it comes to portable toilets, it's a little more difficult to do that. One, as you know, a lot of those toilets are prefabricated with some holder already. Yes. Our dispensers are durable, but I don't know that they're vandal-proof. No. And we have some business at portable units where, you know, the dispensers are able to survive. I think probably maybe because there are venues that are less troublesome. But for the most part, we get an awful lot of damage. So we try to use whatever is prefabricated for the unit. Mm. We have had quite a bit of success with our um, cordless products. Because I, I know you were talking about, cordless. you know, standard JB Dumbo bath. What we were hearing about the cordless, what was interesting was, it's basically no cores and no wrappers. And so when you're vacuuming out the unit, cores, I'm sure cores get stuck. I'm sure there's wrappers, but mm. the coreless aspect of it has none of that, right? It, so you don't have any waste inside the unit to worry about. So there'd be a time-saving yep. Yeah, and we've had some success with some PSI uh, members here in the U.S. PSAI, sorry, yep. PSAI. Now, I'm presuming you need a different holder for those because you can't get a rod through the middle. It depends on you, the size, right? If you had a rod that was the size of a pencil or a little bigger, then you can get it through. through. I mean, our, our coils has a, it has an opening. You just have to get a smaller rod. So mm. we have seen some folks take the prefabricated and then just change the rod size. Mm. And it seems to work fine. No, and we've actually designed, you know, rolls with 1,500 sheets. So there's two rolls are giving you 3,000 sheets of toilet paper. So it's, you know, it, it depends on the, the venue that you're at, but it's just a significant amount of paper that you can put in there at one time. Yes, yeah. And do perforations make a difference? I know the commercial rolls we see here tend not to have any perforations. They continue a sheet. The only real reason that they perforation serve, Pete, is to makes it easier to tear. Mm. Those larger rolls, those jumbo rolls, if you will, you'll, you'll see a lot of those dispensers have plastic teeth on Serrated the bottom. Teeth. The challenge is you can't make them sharp enough that they would hurt somebody. And therefore, they're generally not sharp enough to break the tissue all the time. So it's kind of catch-22. 
And yeah, the perforations just help to break the tissue up. That's yeah. really it. This might sound a really strange question, but I'm in- interested to see whether or not you do any, let's call them field tries, but do you, do you give people toilet paper and ask them for their feedback on, on the feel and the comfort? Well, first of all, I would tell you that I've been in this business for 30 years and there's never been a strange, when you're talking about toilet paper, there's not a strange question, so don't worry about that. <laughs> um, we, we actually do more so when we're sort of playing around with innovative ideas and we're playing around with things that we're trying to see if the market will take, you know, we'll, we'll go out and look for some folks that are, that are willing to say, Hey, look, we'll be a, I don't want to say a guinea pig cause that's not the intent, but we'll, we'll be happy to test it. We tend to provide that stuff for, for free. And we, as long as they give us some feedback. So we do that quite frequently with new ideas. Because there's a very distinct difference between what is sold on retail shelves in the high end, three ply, four ply, whatever, and what is sold in commercial facilities. And the biggest difference is the commercial products tend to have a much higher degree of recycled fiber, in some cases, even 100% recycled. Mm-hmm. And then the retail tend to be almost all virgin. So that difference is why you see a difference in the softness and the whiteness and, you know, the what. Uh, virgin fiber is going to be softer, whiter, brighter. Recycled fiber is going to be the exact opposite. That's a, a really good point to raise. The, the question that I'll get from the, the listeners now is, where is it recycled from? Most of what we get is office waste, and we're having a tr- Obviously, no surprise, nobody's in any offices. Nobody's creating any waste. So it's, it's getting more and more difficult to get a hold of recycled fiber and I think the biggest myth, I think, sometimes is folks think recycled fiber is cheaper, when in some cases it's not. You know, in some cases, almost getting, you know, virgin fiber is almost cheaper than getting recycled fiber because of the dynamics. And I'm guessing if it's recycled, there are a lot of stages that it has to go through for it to be processed before you can put it back into new products. Yes. We were joking. I mean, what is very available right now, and I don't know how it is in New Zealand, is think about how much Amazon's business has grown. Mm. And everything comes to your house in a box. So there are a lot of brown boxes. What I can't figure out yet is how to make brown tissue. I don't think I can make it soft enough, but I don't even know that anyone would buy brown tissue yet. So that's kind of the joke is if and when you'll ever see brown tissue. Yeah. (laughs) There's plenty of recycled fiber in brown. uh, There's certainly brown paper napkins um, in in restaurants. Yeah. Yeah, so... In theory, it shouldn't be a, a stumbling block. I would imagine you've never seen brown tissue, though. No, no. I, I said in the episode, <laughs> when, when I was a kid, in the high school system in the UK, it was the Eisel tracing paper type toilet tissue that smelled of disinfectant. And I, honestly, I, they'd had better paper at school. I may have done really good at school. <laughs> I heard you say that. I had to laugh. I think what I thought you were going to say was, you know, there used to be folded tissue. We got like a sort of an eight by eight square. In a box. Every time you pulled one out. Yeah. I've seen that. In a box. Yeah. 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 The, the school system used the rolls, but I'm, I'm sure it was the same stuff. It was hard, you know, and, and, and not absorbent, not at all. Hey, it's been really good chatting with you. I do appreciate you taking the time out of your day um, to come on. I appreciate it. Thank you very much, Pete. Cool. Enjoy right. talking to you. Yeah. You take care. Bye. So that was Nick Trainer, the VP of TP at GP. 
Nick, thanks for your time and for giving us some detailed insights into the world of toilet paper production. And thank you to Patty Gibbs from Patty Gibbs and Company, who did all the running around to arrange that call. And I'd also like to thank the Kovic family for their generous donation, which came as a complete surprise after my visit to Auckland. If everything goes to plan, I'll have some time over the next few days to edit the tapes from that visit, and I look forward to sharing that with you maybe next week. Once again, I've been Pete, and you've been listening to Get Flushed. (laughs) 